You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and on today's episode, my co-host Adam Hawkins and I sit down with Dan Darling, who's written a new book about human dignity. And then we'll come back here in the studio, and David Rourke and I will talk about the implications of that on our midterm elections. It's going to be an exciting conversation about politics and about humanity and about the value that God puts into every single one of us inherently. So without further ado, let's get to it. So today we're talking with Dan Darling about human dignity, which is a very important topic, which you'll find out more about here in a minute as we get into it. It really, it literally affects all of us who are humans, which I assume everybody listening right now is a human. So if you're listening, this affects you. Almost every issue facing our world is tied to this. Uh, the idea, it's actually central to Christianity, the Imago Dei, the image of God. So without further ado, let's get to Daniel Darling. He's the vice president for Communications of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's an impressive organization title. Uh, he's also, it's, it is a mouthful, he's also the pastor of teaching and discipleship at Green Hill Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Am I saying that right? You are saying it right. Excellent. And he has authored several books, writes regularly in a range of publications, including the Washington Post, Huffington Post, Uh, And he hosts a weekly podcast called The Way Home. His latest book that we're talking more about today is called The Dignity Revolution, Reclaiming God's Rich Vision for Humanity. Dan, so happy to have you with us today. I'm glad to be here uh, on the Village Church podcast. Well, man, we're glad to have you. This is uh, honestly a topic I have a lot of interest in as a human being, but also as a pastor and as an American. There's a a lot I'm interested to hear from you about, uh, but start us off kind of generally why do we need what you call a dignity revolution? Uh, what, do you, what does that even mean? Just unpack the title for us. Well, I think, uh, you know, as, as we think about uh, the questions that are circling around in our world today, uh, a lot of them go back to the idea of, like, what does it mean to be human? Uh, and, like, for how we think about ourselves, but also how we think about our neighbors. Um, and I've always been really fascinated by the way the, the Bible talks about humans and the exalted language that the Bible used for, for how unique humans are. And, and I, I argue in the book that Christianity has the most robust vision for human dignity, um, that even other traces of of this idea in other philosophies or religions, which there are, you know, in, in uh-huh. Islam and Judaism and other places, they borrow from Christianity hmm. in, in many ways. Uh, this idea that, I mean, even in, in the opening pages of Genesis, Moses it describes the, the God's creation of the world, uh, and for the rest of the natural order, kind of t- he kind of ticks through that God spoke these things into existence, but then he slows down the narration when he talks about the creation of humans. That, that God, he says, like reaches with his hands yeah. and sculpts humans from the dust of the ground and breathes into humans the breath of life. And of course, humans have the, are, are given the image of God. It's just. It's re- really powerful, and, and I imagine, like, what would it look like if the church, if Christians, really reclaimed this idea of human dignity? I mean, how would it change the way that we look at ourselves, but how would it change the way we look at, at others? So what happened? Because, you know, I think about what you said. I, I absolutely agree with, I, you know, this idea that there is a sense in which the Christian story uh, of what human beings mm-hmm. are, 
what makes them unique is a unique sort of narrative in itself. Like you said, certainly there's other religions, there's pieces that maybe exist in other cultures, but this, this idea of the Imago Dei, this idea of human beings having something special about them because they reflect who God is, right? Mm-hmm. Or they have God's image stamped on them. Um, there is this sense of, and you said it, like this reclamation project that needs mm-hmm. to happen. And, and, and in my mind, I, I guess I have a couple questions. One is, why do we need to reclaim the idea? In other words, have Christians sort of forgotten something or did they ever practice um, you know, what they believe rightly? Uh, uh, and, and if so, again, where did we go wrong? I guess maybe that's it. Well, I think it's, that's, a, that's a great uh, question. I mean, I think on one level, the church at her best has always understood this. So if you think about throughout church history and even the present day, um, at her best, the church is uh, standing next to the people that society is marginalizing and saying, hey, wait a minute, there's a person here. Yeah. Uh, they deserve care and comfort. And I think still today you see that. If you go to the most war-torn places in the world That's right. or the most devastated regions uh, just of the world, you'll often find Christians there not because they're um, trying to make money or make a name for themselves because they see humanity where everyone else doesn't. Yeah. But we're also tempted by the spirit of the age and in, in every age to to be formed by what's around us and to marginalize certain people based on our tribal affiliations or based on other things. And so uh, just like the church has stood next to the vulnerable at times, there's been times the church has been complicit, uh, silent or complicit in injustice, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, you think of 1930s and 40s Germany where, you know, in a Christian nation where where the church essentially, you know, baptized this neo-Nazi idea and, and uh, help advance in many ways the dehumanization of Jewish people, or you think of the slave trade. Uh, this was what Wilberforce was trying to, to fight, the slave trade in Britain, or the, you know, the slavery and Jim Crow laws here where the church was either silent or complicit in that. So it's always a recovery of this idea that it leads the church away from that. Okay, so in kind of the way you introduced the topic, you talked about human dignity as rooted in Genesis and mm-hmm. how human's creation is special. But human dignity goes beyond just that humans are special among other life, right? It's that there's among human to human relationships. When you're going to unpack it in this book, you're talking about not just that all lives have value, but that all lives have equal value or yes. all lives have, uh, regardless of what, what you're talking about right there, whether you're uh, Jewish or African mm-hmm. slave or maybe disabled or elderly. And you'll unpack some of these topics, topics for us here in a minute. But can you just explain a little bit, just the word human dignity, we don't just mean humans as opposed to the rest of life, mm-hmm. but we mean within humanity, every human has value. Is that, what, is that yeah, your that, simple definition? Yeah, that there's, there's, no, there's no class of humans or group of humans that is disposable, that, that doesn't have value and dignity. Our dignity is given to us by God. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't assign it to ourselves. It's, it's, uh, our dignity is not based on, you know, our identity is not the sum total of our desires or, or our choices. Um, or anything else like that. And really, the idea of being created in the image of God is really twofold. It has a sort of a structural meaning, meaning that our values assigned by God, regardless of our utility, yeah. because God has said that we have bear his image. But there's also a, a directional aspect of it that because we're created by a creator, we are accountable to God. Part of being human is accountability, that we are not um, autonomous. We're not we, the masters of our own fate, we're, we're, we're accountable to a creator, uh, and so we're responsible to him. And, and that's just part of what we're doing 
when we share the gospel, we're saying that you have been created in the image of God for purpose. You've been alienated from God, from your creator, because of sin. But God in Christ has come to rescue our fallen humanity and restore us to those image-bearing purposes. So does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So I, I know, and my understanding is in your book, each chapter unpacks a different dignity issue yeah. in the ways this kind of manifests differently. Can you give us some of the highlights for those who haven't read the book yet? What are some of those chapters that you'll cover that maybe will help us kind of flesh out this definition? Well, some chapters are what you would expect, right? So I have a, a chapter on on race and how uh, the idea of, of, of racism is really an affront to human dignity. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you see this with what... You know Martin Luther King's rhetoric, where he was constantly grounding his 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 talks and his movement in the idea of human dignity. He used that language quite a bit. I think of the 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 strike in Memphis with the sanitation workers, and they wore mm-hmm. these sandwich board signs that said "I am a man." Yeah. And what he's saying is, don't look at us just as like you know numbers or or as a, a problem, commodity. a yeah. commodity. We yeah. are people. Yeah. We, are, we are whole people. So a chapter on race and why that's very important. A uh, chapter on abortion, as you, you would expect, that, you know, um, we believe that at the earliest stages of life that, that the unborn are human beings, they're people. Uh, we don't have the right to, to take their lives and why we should stand up for them. But then I also talk about uh, things like immigration and criminal justice. And there's a way in which we are tempted to dehumanize, even though immigration is a complex issue. Right, and countries have to decide how, who's in their country. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't have everybody in the world can't live in the United States. Um, but at the same time, if you look at some of our rhetoric about immigration, it's troubling because um, the way that we describe immigrants matters. Uh-huh. You know that these we can't have a scale of value. Yeah, they, right. you know, sometimes you know we're, we use euphemisms like anchor babies or invaders or animals or all these things. And these are people creating the image of God and their their value is not based on their immigration status, yeah. right? That, And so I think it's very important. And, and one of the things you see in the immigration debate that I think is troublesome is that the idea that one group of people's flourishing uh, is an obstacle to another group of people's flourishing, mm-hmm. right? So if, if these immigrants live in my neighborhood, that means these people don't flourish. If, if we let yeah. these immigrants in, then these people over here will not flourish. That's actually language borrowed from the pro-choice arguments, that if babies flourish, then women can't flourish. This is kind of a Dar- Darwinian idea of survival of the fittest, and, and that the, that's really against the Bible. So I think we have to think about the language we use. So I talk about immigration, I talk about um, criminal justice reform, um, what that looks like, but also things like technology, mm. things like healthcare, um, uh, death and dying and all those things and how human dignity impacts those ideas. One of the topics that's really big right now is um, sexual assault, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. How does that fit into this conversation? That's in the news every day, whether it's the Me Too movement or recent events politically or accusations uh, in celebrity world. What? Mm-hmm. How does sexual assault fit into a conversation about human dignity? Well, I think it really fits in there because, you know, the, the, the sexual assault crisis, you know, the Me Too movement has revealed really how people think about power, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's really what sexual assault is. It's, it, it's, it's how we think of power. You know, and I think of, I think of in, in um, the Garden of Eden after the fall when God is telling Adam and Eve, you know, the, the results of, of the curse that he will rule over you. In other words, 
you know, he will use his strength right. to right. dehumanize you yeah. and control yeah. you. And sexual assault is essentially the stronger preying on the weaker. And when that happens, you're, you're, you're not seeing, men are not seeing women as whole people created in the image of God as, as persons. They're seeing them as objects for their pleasure, as, right. as all those things. And so there's a dehumanization. You know, before you're going to commit violence against someone, you have to dehumanize them in your mind. Right. And that happens sort of slowly over time. You, you're saying that and you're actually, you know, in some ways usurping the role of God. You're, you're in a godlike position that you that you can take uh, ownership and control over somebody in that way. What would you say, uh, maybe just thinking about some of the listeners and we just you just talked about some of the topics you're talking about. Some of the ones that we'd expect others, immigration, mm-hmm. uh, 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 criminal justice reform. What I think some those are political buzzwords right now. Mm-hmm. Some people might think, uh-oh, somebody's trying to smuggle yeah. political things or social justice things. Yeah. You know, it's kind of debated today into uh, a biblical narrative or you know gospel issues or something like that. What, what do we? How would you respond to that? Just to kind of maybe obviate some of those more I don't know. Um, you know, surface level jabs. Well, I think what's interesting, I've had a lot of reactions to people reading the book. And um, I, I, I do think that if you really fully understand human dignity and if you fully understand the gospel, it will disrupt your politics and That's disrupt right. your tribes. Yeah. So I've had a lot of people, I had a conversation with a someone, a progressive uh, activist who read the book, a friend of mine, and he, he said, I read the book and you know, I thought it was just going to be this abortion book. And he's like, yeah, you have a real strong thing there about the sanctity of human life, but you also talk about these other things uh, as well. Um, and so I'm having, so I'm having, what's happening is I'm having pro-life people read it. People who are pro-life like me and a pro-life activists read it and, and read it because they think, oh, this is going to affirm what I believe and it does. Mm-hmm. But then they're also realizing, oh, wait a minute, I need to apply this to other issues that yeah. are not necessarily in my tribe. And I'm having the same conversation with people who are pro-justice and they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, the justice part. And they like the part on immigration. They like the part on some of the other issues, you know, poverty and, you know, race, uh, racial justice. But then they're like, oh, wait a minute. If I really believe in justice, I need to think about justice for the unborn. Yeah. It needs to be um, broadly applied. Yeah, and people are also surprised that I talk a lot about um, individual. I talk about justice on a social scale, mm. you know, systemic injustice. But we also talk about individual uh, repentance and faith in Christ. Yeah, mm. and uh, the chapter two talks about the kingdom of God. About the kingdom of God is both individual repentance and salvation to get into the kingdom, but then we embody the kingdom by doing yeah. all these things. And so I think. It sort of disrupts your tribes, and and, and that yeah. I think that's the idea. Even in writing the book, it makes you uncomfortable a little bit, which I think is good. Well, let that me is. If you put out all the topics, you lay out all the chapters you wrote, you lay out all the subjects you just listed for us, and you put them on a spectrum, there are going to be people that argue, but some of these are more important than other issues. And you're listing them all. They are all human dignity issues, but is there a case for... First thing, there's a spectrum of these where one will will outdo the other, or I think particularly, and we'll talk more about politics in a minute, but right now people feel like their choice between candidates sometimes is having to prioritize, will I vote for this human dignity issue or for this human dignity issue? So is there a spectrum that a Christian should enter into? So I think it's a good question. I have two answers. I think one, on one level, we do need to resist a kind of zero-sum idea that, that if that if 
you know, I advocate for this group of vulnerable people. I have to do it at the expense of this group. And so you see this sometimes, and it really makes me cringe. I see it from both sides. I'll see whenever there's a mass shooting or something, uh, I'll see well-meaning pro-life people who I agree with saying, well, yeah, six people died here, but so many millions died of abortion, as if one group of lives is more valuable than the other. I think we need to resist that. I think we need to advocate for both. Uh, on the other hand, I'll see that sometimes with conversations about justice where people who care about poverty and all those things will, will say, well, you know, uh, you pro-lifers, you know, like, let's care about these people first before we care about the unborn. I think we need to resist that zero-sum game. I think Christians need to advocate for all groups of vulnerable people. At the same time, you know, God does give people specific callings. So, you know, I want, you know, pro-life organizations to narrowly focus on that exact mission of, you know, uh, reducing the number of abortions and, and legislation. That's their narrow mission. But I, on the other hand, I want, you know, humanitarian organizations like World Vision, they're narrowly focused on, on um, you know, drilling wells and providing humanitarian relief all over the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to have specialties. I think what, what matters is uh, that even if we have our specific callings, um, that we don't ignore over here, right? So that when we do, here's the issue. When we do speak about these other issues, we also speak with the same kind of language, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a pro-life person in that space, when I do speak about immigration, I need to make sure that I'm speaking about and talking about it in a way that gives dignity to the immigrant, right? Yeah. And I, I think what happens is we get catechized by our tribe, right? So, yeah. you know, you enter into the justice world, which means that you, you know, your, your, your allies are people on the left. And then you sort of get catechized by those people to where all of a sudden you're mocking anybody who's pro-life because of their position. Or you become pro-life, which means you're in the conservative movement, which means you're never going to listen to people over here. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to beware of that. Does that make sense? Sure. So what do you say then, though, to the person who feels frozen in their decision when it comes to the voting booth? Mm -hmm. Because what you're talking about is really helpful, and it, it is about making sure that when I think about these topics and I think about where my heart's at, I know uh, I need to have uh, a value for human dignity no matter what the issue. But now if I come down to my candidates mm -hmm. and I come and I say, yeah, I, I, do I vote based on the calling like you're saying? Yeah. Or do you just say, hey, people are going to, is there not a perfect world for the Christian right now in politics when it comes to human dignity? See, I think the there's a couple things to think about. I think the temptation for us, so let me, let me back up and say this, that. You know, we have to, you know, in order, I don't think it's an option for Christians to not participate. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when I look at Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I look at, we live in a representative republic, you know, it says in Romans 13 that God is going to hold the people in authority responsible, you know, for the welfare of their, of their people. Well, the way that our government is structured is that we share in that power. That's right. Yeah. So it's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So it's not just the leaders that are held accountable; it's us as we steward our votes. So I, I don't know how I can say to my unborn neighbor, I could have spoken up for your welfare and your care, and I had voice and agency and power, but I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I say to my impoverished neighbor, I could have spoken up for you, but I didn't. So, we, so I think we have to be involved. Uh, we have to join institutions. Yeah. that are imperfect. We have to be part of movements yeah. that are imperfect. But I do think we need to remember that Peter calls us in, in 1 Peter strangers and pilgrims. 
So if we're strangers and pilgrims or strangers and foreigners in this world, we should never feel completely at home in any earthly movement. So even as we join institutions, so whether you land on Republican side or you land on the Democratic side, uh, there should always you should always feel a little dissonance. You should always feel a little discomfort with your earthly movement. Uh, there should always be a sense in which you're you're sitting there saying, "Yes, I agree on these things, but these things make me uncomfortable." And my yeah. my faith, you know, and our our faith should drive our politics instead of politics driving our faith. Yeah. So voting decisions are hard and, and it's messy, but we should never allow ourselves to be so formed by our movements. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I think that's that's sort of the answer. And I think what happens is you sort of get sucked into it and you get formed by your movement. And you're, you know, so even as you're part of this movement over here for this particular reason, be trying to shape that movement in a better way or refuse to give in to that, right? So if, if you vote conservatively, it doesn't mean that you have to parrot the party line all the time. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't speak against that movement and say, this is – dignity defined this is this is wrong right and it doesn't mean you can't sometimes agree with people on the other side of the the aisle that you voted you know your your vote is not a pledge of allegiance for the rest of your life yeah does that make sense yeah absolutely what is the responsibility though then to the christian because i think that's a that's a good answer and you've got some good nuance in there what is the christian's responsibility not only to uh vote for uh, people but maybe to start their own what is the responsibility for institutionally christians and then personally individually christians to say we're going to do something uh, ourselves, because maybe the the political machine yeah. or the organizations around us have let us down. What can the church? What can the individual do when it comes to human dignity? Yeah, I mean, I, on one level, the church needs to be that prophetic voice that is always, in some ways, prophetic and to, to, to either party. You know, they, they should we should never be wholly owned by any one institution or any one party. They should always feel like. I'm not going to be able to take their vote for granted, you know, on the one level. I also think we should be about building, uh, renewing existing institutions and forming new ones. I think institutions are how humans thrive. Uh, You know, Andy Crouch talks a lot about this in his book, Culture Making. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some temptation of our generation is that we're critics of institutions. And a lot of our criticism is is right because our institutions have all failed us at every level. But we also need to be thinking about building new ones or reforming and restoring existing ones. Yeah, that's really good. That doesn't mean I can tell you how to vote necessarily, but sure. But um, and and really, voting is important, but it's really only one piece of of a cultural. It's one aspect. I mean, politicians, leaders follow. I mean, it's downstream from From culture, culture. right? So really, the church has a much bigger impact. Yeah. Than, than the politician, right? Well, and if any Christian thinks that their one responsibility when it comes to human mm-hmm. dignity is voting for the person they feel most closely yeah. aligns with a Christian view of human dignity, then we've missed the actual responsibility the gospel yeah. gives us, which is not to abdicate the love of people to a government, but to be yeah. the church, right? Yeah. To be the body of Christ. And, and so holding that vote loosely, holding yeah. that party affiliation loosely, that movement loosely. I mean, the the role of the church in, in, a, in, a, in a community and society is much more important than the role of, of politics. Yeah. I think we've made politics all-consuming and made it a god. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think we need to resist that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think, you know, what a church can do locally in local communities uh-huh. to, to do this kind of work is so much more long-lasting. I think we have a real issue with people who will 
think what they, they've met the expectation the Lord would have of them because they voted in a direction they feel like advocates for the human dignity they want. Where like if I'm voting pro-life when it comes to the abortion issue, but I don't actually care about the crisis pregnancies in my neighborhood, right. I may not be fulfilling what the Lord oh, has absolutely. called me to. Or if I say I'm voting this way because I care this way about immigrants and poverty, but I'm ignoring the, the impoverished in my neighborhood, or I do not actually recognize the, that the people who don't speak English aren't stupider than me. They're just trying to navigate a culture that to which they have a lot of disadvantages, then I'm not maybe uh, being the neighbor that the Lord has called me yeah, to. Yeah, and I tell pro-life people all the time, because I, I, I'll speak at some of these events, and I'll say, you know, being pro-life is is more than being mad on Facebook every four years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's what are we doing in our local communities? What are yeah. we doing to build things around us? And I, I mean, that that is so much more important. And, and you know, the most important election... The most important vote is not necessarily the presidential vote, but it's the the membership vote in our churches. Yeah. And and what what are our churches what are our churches doing yeah. in our communities? Yeah, I, just hearing you guys, it reminds me that I think this idea that we've made politics into a god. I think, you know, in some sense, we've said neighbor love means casting a vote, and mm-hmm. it's just not true uh, to yeah. love your neighbors. You love yourself. If if Maybe if we were more fully integrated in terms of our communities and in terms of how we live our lives as Christians, yeah. uh, the voting question would really come into better balance. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it does seem to me that the importance of voting is there because of how differentiated and disconnected and you know sort of uh, isolated uh, we've become in modernity a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was a if we were really able to look and see our impoverished neighbor, you know what I mean, and say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to do something about that, all of a sudden I think voting, not only do you have a better perspective about what you're actually voting on, but maybe it's maybe the perspective on voting in general becomes a little less important in a good way, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and are we willing to, to, you know, go against our tribe Absolutely. Sometimes? I mean, I think, I think that's, that's the key. Yeah. Like, okay, yes, I voted this way, but... There's ways in which that tribe I disagree with, and I'm going to go against yeah. that. Because this is how the Bible informs what I'm doing. Yeah, that's what I love about what you're talking about today is that it's rooted in a love for God first. And if I love for if I love God, because God's created me in His image, mm-hmm. I love people, and I don't love people differentiatedly. I don't love them on a spectrum, and I don't love them based on how like me they are, how able they are to give me something that I desire. But we like them. Human dignity goes beyond those things to inherency, right? It's yeah. like this person. Because they are a human being, yeah. we care about them. And that's why I'm glad you wrote this book. I think it's a wonderful idea to separate out by chapters about these different topics. And it sounds like no matter where somebody lands in, in the spectrum of, of what they believe about human dignity and what they are maybe more passionate about than other things, they'll be challenged by a different chapter in this book and challenged to think about how they need to broadly uh, apply the idea of human dignity to to their life. So Dan, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for being here today. And I'm looking forward to digging more into your book. Well, thanks for having me. And I I appreciate the work you guys are doing at Village Church. And you guys really embody a lot of the things that we're talking about. So thanks for a great conversation. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being here. All right. Well, that was our conversation with Dan Darling about his new book uh, about human dignity. Now we're back in studio. It's me, and I'm joined by David Roark. David, I'm so glad you're here because David cares a lot about the implications of the conversation we just had with Dan, especially we wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about especially how does human dignity impact uh, the Christian mindset as they do enter into the voting booth. We talked a little bit about that with Dan 
But these are the issues I see in the news every day, in the debates, in the town halls, in all these things. When you're talking to politicians, they're talking about who loves people and who loves which people and who loves the other people and who hates people. And certainly these topics have to do with uh, are the voting records of politicians and also what we're going to do when we step into the booth and vote in the next um, midterm elections, which are coming up next month. So, David, based on the conversation we just had with Dan, what does a Christian need to be thinking about when it comes to human dignity and the midterm elections? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me, and we got you guys got to this a little bit in the conversation, is just that like we can't pick and choose, you know, which issues, you know, because as Dan's book line, like outlines, there are several issues. You know, there's just this long list of issues that we would say are Imago Day issues, mm-hmm. human dignity issues. I just think as Christians, we can't then just emphasize one to the detriment of others. We have to say, hey, these are all things that are near to the heart of God, and these are all things that matter to God, so they should matter to us. So to just emphasize one would would not be being faithful as a Christian. And I think that that's where we've gotten into trouble in the past. And I would say that we've gotten into trouble on both sides. So you know, the elephant in the room here is that, you know, there are particular Imago Dei or human dignity issues that the left, you know, seems to care more about, you know, Mm -hmm. if I'm generalizing here, you know, when it comes to the poor or immigration and mainly, maybe even just a posture, let's not even talk about policy, but like when it comes to a posture, you know, and then the right, you know, you, you quickly think of the unborn, Mm -hmm. but I just think that like, there's been a tendency to, to feel like you have to go one way or the other, if and you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, um, and people have went one way or another to the detriment of another important issue, so I just think it, they should all matter to us. David, can I be honest with you for just a second? I know this is there's a lot of people listening, but can we just for a second pretend it's just you, me, in the room? Oh, absolutely. Here's what's frustrating to me about everything you're talking about, the human dignity conversation, and, and politics in general, is if we vote. And the voting is expecting that some man or woman that I vote for will represent well the human dignity issues I care about when really maybe all they're doing is pandering to a group of people who care about those issues as if they are going to do something. And politicians, I see this over and over and over again, and maybe it's just me, but I feel like they say they're about these issues, but when they're actually in office, nothing is really different. If you say you care about refugees, you care about the homeless, you care about the impoverished, you care about the unborn, you care about uh, immigrants, you care about whatever it is, I, it, I, outside of the speeches about how much you care about that, and maybe there's some things in the voting record, but just doing the job of an American center to try to make a difference, I feel like the difference makers still kind of are on this side of politics. It's the people in the churches, it's the people out there that we need to be thinking about, what are we doing about these issues? And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote. I'm just saying I get frustrated voting based on uh, human dignity issues when I don't feel like politicians actually care or are actually doing something about it. Yeah, I, I mean, a few thoughts on that. Totally agree. Totally feel the same thing. Um, that's why I think as Christians, it frees us up to not be intoxicated by a particular politician mm-hmm. who is saying all the right things, who seems to have a message of hope who seems to actually care about people. And that's not, you know, we don't want to be cynical either, right, as sure. Christians. Just assume that it's not true. But we can see through that, I think, as Christians. And ultimately, we have a different hope. And so that we we know that, like, 
regardless of where this person ends up, you know, like if they follow through with what they say that they care about or if they don't, our sort of faith and hope doesn't hinge on that. That's true. Yeah. And then the other thing that you're talking about is just this idea that like we put so much weight on the vote. There's the midterm election and then the presidential election every four years. And that seems to be like the end all be all. Yeah. Of what it means, like to I'm be- an agent for change because I voted, and that has excused me from any other activity in these areas. Yeah, and I would say that that's like the easiest thing that we could oh, do so as as citizens and as Christians. I think the hard work, and Dan talked about this a little bit, is it's the being invested locally. You know, it's like seeing these Imago Day issue, issues in your community, recognizing those, yeah. and filling that need. You know, with our local churches. Yeah. And I think it's local elections. It's things like that that really yeah. they take time and energy and work. And if I'm being honest, I'm doing very poorly in that area. But I, I recognize that it it's just we're we're putting way too much emphasis on on the vote itself, as if yeah. that's like the way you're politically engaged. And I'm not gonna tell someone not to vote, but I think it's way more important that you're actually involved Absolutely. on the ground, right? Yeah, it doesn't excuse me. If I if I see a homeless issue in my city and I say, don't worry, I did what I could, I voted for someone who said they cared about it. Or if I see crisis pregnancies in my community, I say, don't worry, I voted for someone who says they care about it. And then think as the Christian, that has excused me from the activity the Lord's called me to, which is a good Samaritan type love for my neighbor, where I'm going over and above saying, how can I spend what the Lord has given me on the people around me? How can I say that what everything I have is the Lord's and what the Lord has called me to is not to excuse me from voting or participating in politics, but it is not to to terminate only on voting and participating in politics. It's a great privilege in our community and in our country to be able to vote and to choose our leaders. And it is important to know their political platform and what are you putting into office. And even for me as a Christian, and I know this is maybe a little bit against what you're saying, I still do have a really distinct hierarchy of human dignity issues when it comes to certain things. There are some things that I will say, this is more important to me than that, even though they're both about human dignity. And those do affect my votes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, if I am not personally involved, I can't say, um, I hope no Christian out there is going, well, I don't care about this issue because I am this political party. That is not the, the role of the Christian. The role of the Christian is to love humanity, regardless of their belief system or what they come from. Yeah. And to even go back to something you were saying earlier about like, you know, politicians pandering, you know, to, you know, the the popular vote or whatever. Like the other big thing is that like, we've talked about this a lot on this show, but you know, politics is oftentimes not always downstream from popular culture. Absolutely. So if you're really passionate about these issues, one of the biggest things you can do is go create art and entertainment and things that is things that will socially shape the consciences and the minds yeah. of the people. And then politicians are just going to, whatever, wherever the people are, yeah. they're, they're going to go there and say, okay, you know, I represent these people now because they want the vote. That's just sort of how it works. And Here, so here's what we should do. We should start a podcast about culture that affects what people think when it comes to Christian intersection of faith and culture. Think about this it, This is David. a really good idea. Thank you. This I'm going to work on this. Uh, but seriously, what uh, kind of final thoughts? Human dignity, the midterm elections— what would you say to the Christian right now? I think, what would I say to the Christian? I would say, don't feel some weird pressure to vote for someone or something that doesn't line up with your conscience and with your beliefs. Like, you just don't have to, you know? Like, we are citizens of a different kingdom. Yeah. We're not citizens, first and foremost, of America and then a political party. Right. That's not where our allegiance and loyalties are toward there yeah. to King Jesus. So we don't need to feel some pressure to 
vote for the lesser of two evils. Again, I'm not saying don't vote, but I'm just saying you have to kind of keep that in mind as you're going about this process. Like yeah. you don't need to and the idea that you're going to vote, you know, to just challenge the status quo or some I've you've heard that language a oh, lot yeah. recently with Christians and I'm like, but that's kind of worldly thinking and worldly thought. Like we don't yeah. need to fall into that. Like we are very we should feel very freed up going into this political process and voting. To, that we don't have to we don't have to worry about that and whatever happens I was getting at this earlier you know like our emotions our hope doesn't hinge on that I already up. said that and so we're not it's not detrimental to us you know if things don't go the way that that we yeah. think they should go it doesn't ruin our reality right that's good because uh, I think what that speaks to is something that does frustrate me when people create a party system that's like a competitive team system where it's did my team win or lose and that my emotions hinge on whether or not my candidate wins or loses as opposed to understanding you no know, my identity and my hope are in Christ Jesus and I'm voting for someone and hoping that my views are represented because they are supposed to represent my views and there's going to be probably no person outside of myself who will represent the views exactly the way I think of them and there are uh, certainly Christian trends in politics where there are politicians that maybe are more in line with the things that I believe than other politicians are. But I cannot, I cannot imagine a Christian walking through the nation in the state that it currently is and wanting to vote one way or another just because a person is of a particular party and feeling like that is the call of all Christians everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Even if, like you said, you have your hierarchy of things that matter most to you, and yep. you're not saying that not all Imago Day issues matter when nope. you say that. You're just saying you have a hierarchy. We all kind of land somewhere, right? Like yep. how we're going to apply our Christian beliefs to the, you know, to politics. Hopefully we all have thought thought through that. But yeah. the main thing I think that it's that I would caution people of is yeah, we don't like you're saying, you don't want to hitch your wagon to a specific person or a specific party because in the end, we're not really associated with those people. We may have, if you chose to vote for that person for a particular reason, that's very different. So you just want to be really careful about that and even just sensitive toward that. And then the other thing I would just say, just from my perspective, that we need to be hospitable during this process. Great. So yes. Christians are supposed to be people of hospitality, but yep. I think that that's intellectually, theologically, politically as yep. well. If someone has a different opinion you know, about something, then we don't need to feel the need to be harsh or good. mean and jump into yeah. that conversation. We should listen really, really well, because I, there, there's a good reason why someone's probably landed where they landed. You might still ultimately disagree, but we need to listen to one another, yeah. learn from one another, welcome different thought, you know, around who a Christian yeah. could even vote for. And, and we should be open-handed with that, you know, because there's sure. There's a lot of gray area here too. You know, the Bible it gives us some things that we should use to to guide us, but there there is some gray area. We don't talk about democracies in America and the left and the right in the Bible, right? Yep. It doesn't get that specific. I have to work really hard to find the level of empathy that you're talking about about a lot of issues, and it's important for me as a Christian to try to understand, especially when a Christian brother or sister will think differently on an issue, why they feel that way, and can I get there, and can I empathize? And uh, there are some issues that I may think differently. It doesn't mean that I have been given permission then to browbeat anybody with my own opinions. And uh, I, I do not think our culture, what our culture needs right now, is one more um, one more angered online comment. Yeah. yeah. You know? Can I say one more thing? I wish Sorry, you would. It'll be really short, I Go think. For it. I hope it's really short. I think a lot of young evangelicals coming into these midterm elections, then we'll have a presidential election in a few years again, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. 
because of what's happened politically, there's going to be a real tendency, I think, just to want to flip, flip the switch, you know, and, and, and want to go to this other side. But the big plea I think I have for Christians, and I'm, and I'm not saying that you can't, it's, it doesn't all depend on who you vote for, but it's what you don't compromise. And I, I just want to push young Christians, especially toward the issue of abortion. I just don't think that this is an issue that we can compromise on. And, it, and again, that's not always in the way you vote, because I know that there are Democrats who are pro-life Democrats, Absolutely. and they've made it their life goal to try to reform the the Democratic Party around this issue. And I think that if you don't have that, then we're in, you know, we're ha- there's a problem. But to start to like, I don't know, become soft on the issue of abortion, mm-hmm. and it, like, which is easy to do when you have sure. these other candidates on the other side who do seem to care more about people and other issues that are really important, like immigration or something like that. Yeah. But we just cannot become soft on that issue. That, gosh, that is that is an issue that's near the heart of God. Yeah. And you just, just can't think of a, of a more vulnerable, just detrimental thing. Yep. Let me speak to that for just a second. And I will also try to be brief. But I think when it comes to abortion, I think soft is exactly the way, even though other human dignity issues, we try to get as many details as we can to get them on the news. Abortion, for for good reason, there are people who do not want the details of what's actually going on to be on the news because it would be detrimental to their to their standpoint. If you actually, if our nation actually watched what was happening in abortion and watched what we're doing to dismember babies before they're born, I think our nation would wake up and go, you know what, is this really what we're going to be about? And I'm not saying that um, I'm... Uh, advocating for um, uh, live videos of what's happening inside the womb. But I do think as technology advances and that certainly information is out there, I think it would change the opinions of a lot of Americans if they didn't just talk about it like it was rhetoric, but we actually watched what was happening. Similar to many people who feel the same way about migrant children being separated from their families at the border, you may have an opinion about it, but until you actually meet those people and see what's happening, you may not understand what's happening. And similar to the same way, uh, it's easy to think of refugees from certain countries as potential terrorists until you know these refugees from certain countries and you realize these are human beings. And these are not, um, n- none of them have ever become terrorists if from certain countries that now we, we have policies against. And you go, okay, well, we need to educate ourselves on the topics understand that human dignity crosses all political boundaries and be educated voters and not feel uh, that there needs to be a shame or a guilt thrust on a Christian because they are uh, thinking a particular thing if they feel like it lines up with what Christ has called them to be. Yeah, because we'd both acknowledge that single voting is how we've gotten to a a really bad political situation as evangelicals. But at the same time, the answer is not to swing the pendulum the other way and to just uh, sort of punt on that issue, right? That's not the answer. There's, There's somewhere in the middle there. There's some sort of different perspective, different avenue, different ethic that I think Christians can offer the world, right? Absolutely. Well, that was a uh, a quick run through what is a very deep and very, very, I'm sure somebody listening to this right now is very fired up. Yeah. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions about this. And I just hope we're all empathetic with each other, kind with each other. And I know my opinions are not... Um, representative of everyone at my church. They're not representative of everybody in my community. And I hope what I advocate for more than anything else, and I hope this podcast always does, is that we are pursuing the heart of Christ in everything, whether it's, and that our hope is not in any political party or any vote. And uh, instead, we want to always be affiliated with what Christ has called us to, which is a ultimate love of him and and, uh, the Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, our Trinitarian God, and then uh, the love of all people everywhere. So that's what we want to be about. That's why we talk about culture, because it brings us closer to understanding each other and understanding God.
If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Sterrett. So we'll see you next time. Please tune in. God bless. Thanks for listening.